0: People have absolutely no confidence in Baltimore City Police.
1: They violated their constitutional rights to be secured within their person and their
0: property. It's like the police don't have any respect for us, period. It's a lot of brothers and women too that's incarcerated for things they had nothing to do with. Not a panacea. Constitutional policing just means yes. treat everyone equally.
2: Welcome to Truth and Reconciliation, a podcast that recounts the troubled history of law enforcement in Baltimore and the search for solutions to heal from it.
1: A forum for providing a voice for people who have suffered at the hands of law enforcement and to inform and empower others through their experiences. And a show ultimately about holding power accountable through stories, thoughts, and discussion. A podcast about what ails us and sustains us, too, as we try to cure the violence that plagues the city. I'm Stephen Janice.
2: I'm Taya Graham.
1: And I'm Sean Yose, and we're your hosts.
2: Today, we will be talking to Baltimore State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby about her efforts to correct some of the overreach of our criminal justice system. And we will also be delving into the details of the obstacles she faced, which says more about just how dysfunctional the system is and what needs to be done to fix it. All that coming up next on Truth and Reconciliation.
0: <laughs> I will I find a ditch of gloom and pain?
1: So I we wanted to uh, talk to our state's attorney because Tay and I were down in Annapolis and we were covering uh, the efforts to pass a vacature law, as it's known, so that the state's attorneys or prosecutors across the state would have more power to vacate convictions that were unjust. And what struck us when we were watching it was the interesting reaction by the people or, or some other state's attorneys from other parts of the states who seemed not to want this power. But So uh, first, welcome... Marilyn Mosby, state's attorney. We're very glad to have you in the studio. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. And, you know, so, I mean, let's start with breaking news, though, first, because two judges have just Mm -hmm. um, sort of overruled your request for vacature of about 4,800 marijuana convictions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I know that this has been something that's very important to you. It's been a national issue. And um, do you have any sort of—I know you're constrained a bit because Mm -hmm. of legalities, but— uh, what's your initial reaction? To so the my
0: initial reaction is um, one of surprise, um, because what we did in filing a writ of quorum nobis relief, um, it's a, a legal sort of creative argument that we made uh, to vacate the convictions of almost 5,000 individuals right. who have been um, convicted of marijuana possession um, rather than go the expungement route where you have uh, several hurdles, including the unit rule, waiting periods, right. and even having to process. Or, or look at every one of those individual records to see if they have subsequent charges. Those are all the parameters for going the expungement. And that's a unit route. rule,
1: right, that it that you have to look at past and future com, or past com, not future, but past convictions or something. No,
0: like? it prohibits expungement of an offense unless all offenses arising from that same incident are eligible for expungement. Oh, so I see. there are various barriers to the current expungement laws the way that they are currently written. And so what we were attempting to do and asking the court to vacate the convictions, and we thought it was a long shot.
2: Mm-hmm. However,
0: we did not anticipate that the court wouldn't even allow us to present our legal argument. Uh, we didn't anticipate that the court would give their opinions um, in their ruling and deny our request and then dismiss it. So not so, even a
1: hearing. You don't Not hear even it. a
0: hearing. And mm-hmm. they did not even appointed anyone else to make the arguments. It's actually the the court that's making the argument, which is atypical. That doesn't usually happen. Yeah. Um, so we are a little shocked, but we're considering, you know, our options at this point. I think that we're, we're going to file a motion for reconsideration. Um, Can you appeal it? And we have an option of appeal as well, but we're considering our, our options. And one of the reasons why we wanted to do this is because we know that the collateral sort of harm and consequences of having these convictions on your record, um, we felt that it was important. And the legal remedy mm. that we came up with is a writ of quorum nobis. It's where you write an extraordinary wrong. And the basis of our argument was that, based upon the fact that there's been discriminatory enforcement, right? right you look right. at this collective data, and the ACLU did an awesome job in collecting this data, which shows that for. You know, since the decriminalization of marijuana of 10 grams or less, the only people that we're targeting and enforcing these laws against are poor black and brown people, particularly in, in, in West Baltimore. And so right. what we we essentially have done is to say that based upon this writing of an extraordinary wrong, this discriminatory enforcement is violative of the 14th Amendment of the Equal Protection Clause. Mm. And so that was our legal argument that we wanted to have in a, the ability to at least argue right um, and unfortunately uh, both the circuit and the district court denied that request however we again are, are weighing our options we're gonna still continue to fight um, but what was this is also why that vacature legislation that you you referenced right. was so incredibly important um, this was a piece of legislation that I introduced at the time that we announced that we would no longer be prosecuting simple possession of marijuana in the city of Baltimore um, And it was a piece of legislation that actually had three provisions, um, which would be inclusive of those explicit language to be able to vacate Crimes that are no longer a crime, like mm-hmm. marijuana possession. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the only conviction integrity unit in the entire state of Maryland that does actual claims and reinvestigations into actual claims of innocence. Mm-hmm. And so we, as the prosecutor, want the ability to be able to vacate convictions when we deem it necessary, right? Right, um, right now, the way that it works is we have to sign on to the defense's motion in order for us to vacate or to get a new trial and we dismiss it. What we're saying is that when we do the the investigation, we want the power and the ability to be able to say, especially in those instances where people are wrongly accused, convicted, and incarcerated, that that conviction should be vacated. And the third provision of the legislation um, was really for GTTF in those unforeseen circumstances where justice and fairness requires that you vacate a conviction. as you know, following the GTTF scandal, one of the largest police corruption scandals in the history of this country, yes. where you had several officers who were breaking into people's homes, mm-hmm. you know, um, planting guns and drugs and evidence on on young black men with hoodies, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I can go on redistributing drugs, you know, they've pled guilty, but what has happened is that my office has had to expend a great deal of resources trying to assess Mm. thousands of cases that were impacted once we found out about the corruption of these officers and the criminality of these officers, and so, you know, we've we've reviewed over 3,000 cases um, where essentially... We've gone in to determine and do like a a materiality assessment. If the case hinges hinges on the credibility of any of those officers, then in the interest of fairness and justice, we have moved the court and in a motion to ask that the, the case be or the conviction be vacated and overturned. Well, in about 20% of the cases where we're the ones actually doing the assessment, we're the ones reaching out to defense attorneys, we're the ones arguing the motions in court and drafting the motions, in about 20% of those cases, the judges have come back and denied our joint request to vacate convictions. And so... And
1: how unusual is that?
0: It's incredibly unusual. I mean, usually
1: judges side with prosecutors in these cases.
0: I mean, or you, in this case... We have two people who are joining. You have the defense attorney and you have the prosecutors who are saying this is in the best interest of justice and this is what we should do. And what the judges have essentially said is that there is no legal mechanism for you to be able to do it. So, what we did this year is we went down to Annapolis and we said we need a legal mechanism to be able to do it. And so, I'm grateful because we were successful in yeah. getting it passed. Um, I didn't, and I didn't think it
1: was going to pass. You said what? We
0: didn't. <laughs> didn't we, but it, it wasn't. It, we I didn't think it was going to pass either because yeah. we got a lot of opposition to it.
2: So, are those judges still unwilling to reopen those cases? Are you still facing any issues with the previous gun trace task? Force cases,
0: so yeah. I mean, those judges that have issued their ruling and their opinions uh, and denied our joint motions, um, you know, we're going to have to wait until this legislation is 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 enacted.
1: And they just they just say, and it we're will just be effective
0: not... as of October. And just so
1: I understand, even though the it would, the cases hinged hinged upon the evidence of the gun trace task force members, the judges are just like, I'm not even going to consider it. Is this another case where they don't give you a hearing?
0: So, no, they gave us a hearing in this in this instance. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, What they're saying is that they they wish they could grant in our favor. However, there's no legal mechanism for us to be able to do it, which is why I went down to Annapolis and we fought for this legislation so that there would be a legal mechanism for us to do it in that instance where I moved for a writ of quorum nobis in those in the marijuana cases. Like I said, it was a long shot. However, this now legislation would allow us to be able to do it. You so, have the legal mechanism in place.
2: So what's your next step? Is there anything else you plan to do to erase these convictions in the future?
0: So yeah, I'm going to continue to fight. Um, we do intend to file a motion for reconsideration. Um, we are also weighing our options as, with regard to an appeal because again, yeah. this is not... This is the way that it was conducted procedurally is atypical.
1: One of the things we found odd, and I just want to interject this before we, is just that the testimony of of Caroline State's Attorney Joseph Riley, who represents, I guess, it's an organization of all state's attorneys. Mm -hmm. Now, your basic premise of your bill was to give more flexibility to prosecutors or more power, more power, yes. And what? And did I misread his? testimony today that he seemed to be saying we don't want that power no it
2: certainly seemed to me that he was testifying that he did not want to be responsible for that power. so
1: i mean what's your reaction to that because i thought it was kind of bizarre i mean i kind of couldn't figure it out
0: so i personally um you know i I was extremely disheartened um this Mm -hmm. legislative session this was a piece of legislation that clearly my prosecutors needed um not just for purposes of the marijuana vacatures, but more specifically the g t t f scandal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and as you know one of the Biggest sort of members that contribute to the Maryland State Attorneys Association, when we brought it to their attention and they said that they were going to oppose it, it really didn't make much sense to me. I can tell you that certain individuals among the organization um, indicated that it was not the responsibility of a prosecutor to right the wrongs of the past. Right. I don't
1: understand that. And right.
0: it's, it's, Totally. Who's
1: a, whose responsibility is it? it, then? it
0: according exactly. to the ABA ethical prosecutorial standards, it is our responsibility to right the wrongs of the past. Um, as a prosecutor, you seek justice over convictions, mm-hmm. and so you know that was extremely disheartening. I had some folks who said it was going to be politicized, and and meaning in terms of the fact that they weren't supportive because maybe they didn't necessarily agree with me or didn't like me. I have no idea. Um, but it was extremely disheartening because, again, we're one of the largest sort of members that make up that organization. And it was the only two that were supportive. Um, jurisdictions that were supportive were of George's. the vacature was mu- clearly Baltimore City mm-hmm. and Prince George's right. County. Um, and, you know, state's attorney Aisha Brave Boy came and testified on our behalf. And then we even got the Association for Prosecuting Attorneys, Fair and Just Prosecution Initiative. We got the judge who was actually on the legislative Um, Mm -hmm. GTTF task force to be supportive of us, the public defender, and then we we even got 55 of the most... you know, progressive prosecutors across the country Mm -hmm. and police commissioners to sign on to this legislation to say this makes sense and to have the Maryland State Attorneys Association um, speak in opposition to it was incredibly disheartening. Well,
2: um, one of the arguments I think uh, Carolyn County State's Attorney Joe Riley put forward was that if a prosecutor had that power, then they could use it politically or even personally to just vacate any conviction that they didn't agree with. I think that's one of the things he mentioned. How do you respond to
0: that? So I think that's your job. That's your your role, <laughs> right. your responsibility yeah. as a prosecutor, right? To utilize your discretion in ways in which you right the wrongs of the past, the mm-hmm. present and the future. If you you come across that, that's that's what the people have elected you to do. And unfortunately, some people are are fearful of doing that.
1: Yeah. I mean, Me, on
0: the other hand, I'm not. <laughs>
1: well, and he also seemed to be implying, which I thought was very, very indicative of how things go down Annapolis. It's somehow Baltimore didn't have a right to determine what was, you know, yes. w- how we wanted to prosecute laws. You know, that it was like, well, we can't have people in Caroline County, uh, you know, we can't have you not arresting people in Baltimore for pot when we're doing it in Car- Caroline County as if Baltimore doesn't have the discretion uh, or, you know, that that or power... Or shouldn't have the should, discretion. I think <laughs> that's a better that's way to right. put it because <laughs> that's always a theme in Annapolis. Well, we mm-hmm. can't let Baltimore, you know, run its own city, I guess Correct. I don't know how else to say it. It was so bizarre, and it's such a thematic problem down there.
0: It, it, it most certainly is. You know, I get that a lot. Um, unfortunately, I feel like I'm the redheaded stepchild. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, no, it's, a number it, of these. Um, I've seen you know, it. Meetings, but I mean that's the reality, and and it's rather unfortunate. Um, but uh, you see what I'm up against. But you
1: are part of a movement, a larger national movement that has seen prosecutors in places like Brooklyn and Philadelphia yes. take, you know, more. Uh, I I guess would say a, a what would be the best word to describe it a, more of taking more active active role and 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 do you feel like you do you feel like you get support from them maybe or? I do
0: I have mm-hmm. a great deal of support um a great deal of pros- national prosecutorial support um I work with the Fair and Just Prosecution um initiative they are doing some dynamic work um on the board for the Association of Prosecuting Attorneys. Um, Dave LeBon, Miriam Krinsky. I I, I I can't speak enough of how supportive they are in my efforts. Um, so, yeah, uh, justice. Because
1: uh, it gets a little lonely here in Baltimore. No, it, so.
0: it can get a lonely, <laughs> let me tell you. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Not just in Baltimore, in the state.
1: Oh, uh, no, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You
2: know, we've seen so many progressive reform bills die in Annapolis. What, what do you think finally put this bill over That's the top? That's a great
1: top? question.
0: So I think we had bipartisan support, which went was, you know, Senator Chris West sponsored the bill mm. on the Senate side um, and Delegate Eric Barron, who I can't yeah, everybody just respects and mm. admires um, sponsored it on the House. Um, it passed. Like unanimously without any sort of amendments in, wow. in, the, in the House and in the Senate, of course, we had some, some pushback because mm-hmm. the Maryland State Attorney... Senator Attorneys, Bobby
1: Zirkin, perhaps? Senator
0: Zirkin I can just say the Maryland State Attorneys Association <laughs> has more influence in the Senate. Um, so there because was some Senator Bob, were some provisions... We're going
1: to say this because of Senator Bobby Zirkin. I will say that. As a reporter, we're not saying that this is us.
0: OK, well, yes. I can just <laughs> say, and, and, yes. but I think it, it was it, it goes beyond him. Right. It, mm-hmm. it had a lot to do with the Maryland State Attorneys Association, right. which has a great deal more influence in the Senate than they do the House. Right. Um, so them being in opposition to it, um, I can tell you that we compromised on the bill a mm-hmm. bit, which was fine because I really needed more. So the general provision, which ultimately prevailed, the explicit language of each of those provisions were uh, initially outlined in the bill. And that was my negotiation was to compromise to the point yeah. where you know the general provision was more what I can I can use
1: yeah um mm-hmm. now so you made national news just a couple months ago when you said you were not going to prosecute possession of marijuana yes. and I was just wondering you know because the police department is pushed back initially pushed back yeah
0: initially
1: so how has that been going I mean what what have you been seeing from this I mean is it progressing the way you want do you I think
0: it's progressing the way that we want right we have a um 24 7 central booking where we kind of where we process cases when someone's arrested right. mm-hmm. and so if and when someone is arrested for possession mere possession of marijuana we are releasing individuals without charges so we're not seeing you know mm. people sitting in jail waiting um but it hasn't really been a problem it mm. really hasn't been a problem and i know that there was all this these conspiracy theories that, (laughs) you know, we were somehow gonna be crime is gonna be out of control or the police department weren't gonna they were gonna lock everybody up. That's not that's not the way that it's worked.
1: You said something that was really interesting when this first came out that I think people don't understand. Was there any evidence that minor marijuana arrests had any dent in violence or any of the crime that you had seen or experienced as a prosecutor?
0: Absolutely not and I, I didn't arrive at this conclusion like Overnight, right? We did a, a great deal, months worth of research, mm-hmm. and what we determined is that there's absolutely no public safety value. So right. you look at wow. the places that have already uh, passed and legalized mm-hmm. marijuana—you like Oregon, Las Vegas, Washington State, Colorado, mm-hmm. and even D.C. Right? Like right. It, it, right. the crime hasn't skyrocketed. There's no correlation to an increase in violent crime, and. What was also extremely telling is that it's counterproductive mm-hmm. in a city like Baltimore, where you have the spate of violence that we yes, have, the absolutely. level of violence right. that we have. We should be utilizing our resources to, to, combat to that. solve the three, last year, 316 homicides. We had a 26 percent year in clearance rate. Like 26%? 26% year in clearance wow. rate from 316 homicides. Let's utilize our That's resources on right. solving these these murders. Where do you think that mom, and, and, and you know, there were a couple of weeks after I announced um, the the policy, the mothers of murdered sons and daughters, you know, right. they put they out a, the billboard. I saw that with Where Catherine you,
1: picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Where yes. do you think that they want us spending our time and our resources? Yeah right they want to yeah. get the, the bad guys the criminals the right. the the people who are preying upon the vulnerabilities of men women and children off our streets they're not worried about you know tyrone in west baltimore because At the end of the day, Tyrone and Tommy and Kenton, they smoke. We know there's no disparate (laughs) use, right? There's no disparate use among them. We just know that there's disparate enforcement. And that's why I can never be complicit in the discriminatory enforcement of poor black and brown people.
2: Well, we know that the uh, previous uh, police commissioner, the interim police commissioner, Tuggle, wanted to continue making marijuana arrests. How is this new police commissioner working with you?
0: So, I mean, I'm very optimistic and I have a, a, a great relationship with the new commissioner i've worked with five commissioners in three years mm. so what i can say is that you know i am very very optimistic um we are working together and i've offered you know to help train and and to collaborate with the police department so that everybody's all on one accord mm-hmm. um and so he's open to that uh he has a job to do i, I get it he, he's he, at this point i I don't see it as a huge problem with them. Still, they there have been instances where people are being arrested for marijuana. It's not a huge problem because again, we're able to release individuals without charges.
1: Now, you just won a big conviction of a police officer who I guess would say beat a young man outside of City Hall. Um, so you got that conviction, but there's been some pushback from the FOP. Do you want to respond to that? If you don't, if you don't have to, I just want to give you that opportunity.
0: So I mean. I think that, you know, one of the things that I've been very clear about um, since I first stepped foot in office and whether it's the uh, Episcopal Bishop or whether Mm. it's public enemy number one or whether it's the officers in Freddie Gray, is Mm. that we have one standard of justice in the city of Baltimore, regardless of one's sex, religion, race or and and, and occupation. And so if you... You know, usurp your authority and you abuse your authority as a police officer and you you, you hurt people. We're going to hold you accountable the same way we would anybody else um, on the streets of Baltimore that are preying upon the vulnerabilities of others.
1: And how do you feel? Do, do you do you feel like this new commissioner? I mean, I know you're going to say you have a great relationship. I mean, <laughs> five commissioners, that's dizzying. You know, I don't know how you've even been able to comprehend that. I mean, what what is it? Do you think he has a different approach than his predecessors that you've seen? I mean, you certainly deal with him, I'm, I'm assuming, fairly I regularly. I actually
0: was just with the commissioner. Um, we were in Edmondson Village. Um, we were After actually, the shooting? Yeah. Um, mm.
1: Just so people know, the there were seven people shot. On here. Sunday, right. seven
0: people. One um, killed. Terrible. Um, in broad daylight on a Sunday. Um, we were actually just in the community. And it wasn't just me and the commissioner. It was me the commissioner and the U.S. attorney um, and talking and engaging right. community members. So I feel, I feel having worked with five of them in three years, I feel very optimistic. And the, the advantage that this commissioner has is that he's kind of come in and set the terms of, of who he is and what mm-hmm. he's going to do on his own. It's not as political, whereas other folks were more concerned with, with job stability. Right, huh. that's interesting. And so I don't see that. From yeah, his he doesn't. I mean,
1: the fact that he let go of six colonels, and you know, that shows that he has his own plan, which is yes. very different.
0: Which yes. is, and I think that that's what we kind of needed. We needed an external sort of perspective. I think, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm so I'm optimistic. Absolutely. Uh,
2: And and this might be a difficult question to answer, but after seeing that incredible violence, like you said, seven people shot in one day in broad daylight. What do you think is the root of some of the violence that we're seeing in Baltimore City? We've seen such a spike over the past few years.
0: So, I mean, I think that in 2015, those voiceless people spoke. Yes. And um, I, I think that we still have not gotten to the root causes as to why mm. crimes take place. And I talk about this all the time. You know, um, 24% of Baltimore's population lives in poverty. 35% right. of our babies live mm. below poverty. Mm. We've seen a drastic increase in juvenile violent crimes, right? We just right. charged a 13-year-old just recently with murder. Oh, um, my
1: God. Y- you
0: you You're not addressing the root causes, the the 18,000 vacant houses, 16,000 vacant lots, Mm -hmm. the unemployment rate for young African-American men between 18 and 24, which is more than twice as high than that of whites, as you absolutely Mm. lead. I mean, we have so many Mm. systemic issues in this city. Yes, we do. And unfortunately, we haven't had the proper leadership in Mm. order to be able to address those issues. And without doing that, we're going to continue to see the cycle of violence that we see in our city.
1: Well, since you're so progressive, do you think you should actually end up running for mayor just so you can execute (laughs) that vision that you seem to have for a more just and equitable city?
0: I think I have to be in the role that I am in. You sure? I do. I do. I do.
1: What? Oh, I'm sorry. We're getting a text from the producer. Oh, Mandate for the next mayor. Okay. Do you want to ask that, huh?
2: Sh- sh- what's the mandate for the next mayor? Well,
1: what she wants to see from oh, okay. the next mayor. Okay. Or, well, yeah, you know, a new mayor, like more progressive. Okay. Oh, wait, give it three.
2: So soon we're going to be, well, hold on, let me think of a better way to rephrase this. Eventually, Baltimore is going to have to come to terms with the state of our mayor and the strong mayor system that we have. Uh, we've had some issues with Mayor Catherine Pugh. We now have interim mayor uh, Jack Young. But what are you hoping to see from the next person that steps into this vital role as mayor? What would you like to see?
0: What I would like to see is um, someone who is invested in our city. I mean, truly, truly invested um, and is unafraid oh, to a good word, challenge the status quo.
1: Sounds like you.
2: That sounds familiar. Yeah. I sounds familiar for some reason.
1: Not, we're not trying to you know, <laughs> get you to run for mayor, but just opening the door...
0: Follow well, the one thing that I, I would I would I would like to see that I would, I would like yeah. to see leadership in the city leadership. I mean, the thing unfair. is, my, right. my kids are in Baltimore City public schools, yeah. So that's what I mean about being vested, right?
1: Right. I mean, it's a tough time because we right now we don't have a mayor. Uh, I mean, there's Jack we down. have an ex officio Yeah, and and he's doing a great job. Yeah, he's, he's doing, doing his doing best, and I, but it's a very difficult. Situation for him because he's not really the mayor well, he is the mayor I mean yeah. it's difficult for everybody really so you know, I
0: think yeah, but the one thing I can say about our city is that we are resilient mm-hmm. and we've been through so much trauma <sighs> so true. over the past yeah. four years I oh, mean wow. this is trauma yeah. um and yet and still we're still we're we're surviving and we're we're gonna we're, We'll, we'll come out on top. I honestly feel like Baltimore has a unique opportunity to be a model for the rest of the country. And uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that that will, that will take place. So we need
2: well, a mayor that yeah.
0: is fearless
2: and that is invested in yeah. our community. We're going to keep our eyes out. For, well, for the, Baltimore
1: uh, State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby, we, we want to really thank you for coming on Truth and Reconciliation. We've been wanting to have you for a long time. Yes. So we really appreciate you taking the time and getting through the accident downtown
2: and
0: coming. Oh, you know, thank you for having me. I appreciate what you guys do. Um, you know, on so many different levels. Thank you. Thank you so much. What did I do? What did I say? What did I want? Was
2: it too... Thank you for joining us for Truth and Reconciliation.
1: Truth and Reconciliation is produced by Telegram, Stephen Janice, Sean Yost, and Sienna Greaves for A Spectrum Production. It's also engineered by Sienna Greaves.
2: If you like the music at the beginning and end of the podcast, you can find it on Spotify under the artist Mr. Muse. Also, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or leave us a review if you enjoy the show.
1: I'm Stephen Janis.
2: And I'm Taya Graham. Thank you for joining us for Truth and Reconciliation.